Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. Thank you for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're glad you're back with us. We have uh, two guests on today. And we have got uh, a Lou Weiss, who is going to give us an update on last week's show and next week's show and news items. So let me go right over to Lou and see what's happening uh, in news and shows. Lou, how are you doing? Well, this is a happy Fourth of July to all of you, all of you uh, being that we didn't mention it. Um, we did have a great show last week, and, and I'm actually not sure how – well, last week's show is going to fit with this week's show. And I'll give everybody a little bit of a hint. Uh, we have uh, financial, uh, the, the uh, Rob report uh, 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 that came out uh, uh, yesterday, and uh, it's really uh, unbelievable numbers. Uh, uh, the, the new chair of uh, ISM, uh, Tim Fiore, has done a great job in just one month, and I want to applaud him. Uh, that being said, last week we had Jerry Flom and Peter Roma from Credit Risk Manager, uh, their leading financial information and analysts that help service uh, large corporations typically in uh, you know supply chain procurement and, and corporate credit and so on. And uh, they're talking about something that after the show, after we had them on, I had to go make a quick phone call to my psychologist, and I had to go get some pills because I was really uh, freaking out. Uh, they talk about the next financial bubble, which could be worse than the housing bubble. I don't mean to ruin your July 4th today, but you have to turn on Don't listen to them today. Listen to them tomorrow when you're back at work. And uh, – it's really scary stuff. Just remember you heard the word bonds from Tim and Lou. Bonds, B-O-N-D-S, and the number of $1.6 trillion. Just remember that and remember where you heard it. So, uh, next, bonds. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, gee, I went and ruined it. They, well, they're not junk. They're just dangerous, dark, dirty, yeah, and dangerous. I yield. Right, high yield, high yield, low risk. <laughs> Next, now this is a this these three stories, the news stories I've got here, um, really kind of relate to a topic that is really astonishing, and, and the topic generally is uh, about jobs. That we got to get jobs, we got to get jobs. Sure, let's throw all the aliens out, and the Americans will go pick pineapples. That'll happen sometime soon. Uh, the other thing is that uh, jobs, the jobs that went overseas are jobs that nobody in this country wants. Who wants to make little cocktail umbrellas? I mean, really, who wants to do it? Do you want to do that, Tim? Oh, yeah, that's what I want to do for 40 hours a week. Absolutely. It's worth at least a buck and a quarter a, a year. So that being said, let me give you some highlights. Georgia Pacific in Florida is investing $900 million to expand. Think there are jobs down there available? Next one, Jeff Bezos. He's building a rocket plant in uh, Alabama. 
he's going to become the number one guy in rocket engine technology. Lots of money. You think there might be jobs there? So the next side was the Samsung is investing $380 million for, uh, uh, for uh, applications in learning to create new skills. So they're building their own educational system. That's going to in itself generate a thousand jobs. You think there's some opportunities for people who aren't working? Here's the problem. We don't have a job problem. We've got a skill problem. And it's time that Washington and all those naysayers get it, that it's skills. And also uh, in Nebraska, they're opening up a new school funded by the state for $150 million to train people from the age of teenagers to learn all about manufacturing. So there are people doing things out there. Don't count on the U.S. government. They're not going to do it. We can't, we can't pull ourselves away from the television, and neither can he. So nothing is going to get done. We got to do it. The state's got to do it. And I'm on a roll. And uh, I was so calm for the last two, three days. I took myself <laughs> off the radar, and I am now like a machine. Uh, that said, that said, go ahead, Timmy. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's jump. Is you have anything else before we jump into our uh, ISM report? Such great numbers. Let's go to uh, Tim Fiore, who is the committee chair for the ISM's Manufacturing Report on Business. He takes over for Brad Holcomb, and he uh, has got a great report for us today. I'm, we're very anxious to find out why these numbers moved upwards. So Tim is going to give us uh, the the gross number, and he's going to go through uh, parts of the report to give us the background and how this number rolls up. Tim, welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Yeah, thanks very much, Tim and Lou. So uh, we, we did have a really strong month of June to close the uh, second quarter of the year and the first half of the year. And, you know, it's, the PMI uh, closed out at 57.8, which is up almost three points from the prior month. And as most of your listeners know, it's made up of five sub-elements, each equally weighed new orders, production, employment, supplier deliveries, and raw material inventories. So in all cases, uh, except for raw material inventories, we had a really strong month, uh, approaching four percentage point increases in all four of the five. So uh, it started out with a really strong new orders uh, input, four points above the prior month, followed by uh, production output up 5.3 points above the prior month. Uh, employment supported production up 3.7 points from the prior month. And uh, the supply chain supplier deliveries up 3.9 points uh, from the prior month. So what that kind of reflects is that suppliers struggled somewhat in meeting the increasing demands. Uh, it appears that employment was uh, trying to compensate, too, to meet the increased demands. Uh, and the net result of all of that is that uh, raw material inventories declined slightly, 2.5 points to 49. So there was a consumption of raw material inventory to, to meet the increased production, which was performed to meet the increase in new orders. So, you know, a really good, uh, really good month, really good close of the half and close of the quarter. Well, let me ask you a question, uh, Tim. Uh, 
Was this all we had to do to get our numbers up? Was to ask Brad to resign and retire? No. Is that all we had to do? Only kidding, Brad, if you're listening. <laughs> all right, here's the real, real question. Uh, you know, I've been watching uh, the ISM for I don't know, 35, maybe 40 years. Uh, I feel like I own it. Uh, but that being said, uh, I, I do notice that things seem to move in cycles. It doesn't go drastically up, drastically down in one month. It usually tails, it trails uh, a, a trend, a two, three, four months, eight months, whatever, uh, tracking. So here we're going into, we're finishing the second quarter, we're starting the third quarter, which, uh, July and August, which sent everybody's on vacation. Things have a tendency to slow down, even though about four years ago we had the hottest July and August in uh, 45 years of business. So my question to you is, uh, and, and I'm not asking for a prediction, but is there some merit to what I say that when things go up, they stay up for a while, and then they back off and so on? What, what's your experience? Well, I, I tend to think that things travel in cycles also. Uh, lots of things in life take cycles. Uh, right. We actually have been on this uh, increase in new order rate since September of last year. So although right. we've kind of gone up and down, we've always been expanding. We've been growing since September. So, you know, but to your point about, um, you know, we are hitting the summer period. There are there are some caveats to this report just on its face value. Uh, you know, the, the first one is that, yes, we did close a quarter. So, of course, there was a lot of work to make sure that quarters are closed to meet plans. And that may have included to increase production output. Uh, it may have included to make sure that everybody has their orders placed as they enter the summer period. So, that, you know, the summer comes into the equation, too, in that we're now in a, in a period where we'll see factory shutdowns. People take their vacations in the July and August time frame. Some do in June, but July and August is really the big vacation period. Sure. You know, that may have had a, an impact on production. It may have had an impact on new orders. Uh, on the employment side, we saw growth in employment numbers. We had colleges that uh, commencement ceremonies occurred in May and early June. A lot of new college entrants probably entered the workforce in the June time frame, and you, know, you could argue that part of that contributed to the employment numbers being up. So you, know, you, you can't look at anything in a vacuum, Lou, to your point, and things do right. tend to travel in sine waves. And, uh, you know, I think those are a couple of the caveats here to the report that there could be, quote, some seasonality factors in here that uh, July will kind of prove out whether the new order uh, rate continues at the rate that we're at. Well, as Brad might say, come back in September and I'll tell you what we did in July and August. <laughs> well, that's going to be interesting, yeah, right, because like, like I said, I mean, the new order number started to step up uh, in September of last year. So, right. you know, J July and August tend to be kind of sleepy months, you know, to some extent, right. like January tends to be, so uh, especially in the manufacturing world. So we'll see uh, we'll see what that brings to us. But, you know, we, we had a lot of good comments from the community. There was uh, strong comments about business growth in Europe. There were comments about uh, uh, finally oil and gas seems to be turning around. And although uh, the price structures of the products that they sell are, are down, it appears that uh, things are restarting. And, you know, we, you know, we all know about the big investments that occurred on the Gulf Coast when uh, 
Uh, natural gas prices dropped to two to three dollars per MMBTU. There's been there was good comments from the uh, farm goods community about uh, increased demand there. Um, machinery exports were were pretty strong. A lot of comments about that. And um, on the uh, the other side, we we had comments around commercial aerospace slowing a little bit, and uh, offset somewhat by comments around Department of Defense spending finding its way into the supply chain in a lot of respects uh, through subcontract effort, but also with companies that have uh, tier one type of responsibilities. So, so you know, in all those, there was some good growth comments put into the, the package from the, uh, the community. Yeah, last week, uh, Boeing was at the uh, Paris Air Show, and they sold uh, 1,670 of the new LEAP uh, high-energy uh, commercial engines, so that put about thirty billion into uh, the coffers uh, for uh, Boeing. Actually, that was the hot item of the show. Yeah, I think that was seven three seven ten. I think right. Ah, uh, yeah, that's right. for the plane. The engine is the new uh, leap high, high energy um, yes. aircraft. Yes. Yep. Yep. Fuel efficient, quieter. Tim, Interestingly enough, just Tim, one last point on that. 19 of the parts that are in that engine, 19 different parts, are all 3D printed and hence caused a lot of the uh, gas efficiency in that aircraft. So I just make a point of it about 3D printing, which we tend to talk a lot about. Yeah, yeah, that engine is uh, full of ceramics, high-temperature ceramics. Yeah, I think, Lou, you said the uh, efficiency was 15%. Fuel yes, reduction 15%. efficiency in that engine. Correct. That is correct. That's a big number. It's a right. huge number. Yeah, it is a big number. They get one yeah, or two emissions reductions and noise decreases. So, so, yeah, the next generation of engines is a real leap. It's a real step change from where we were. Yep. Absolutely. No question. So, so, Tim, out of Washington, we're getting uh, two things from our president. We're getting, he did a great speech on July 1st to the veterans. Uh, about the same time he was tweeting and embarrassing himself, I guess, with the tweets that he was shooting out, uh, creating a yin and yang situation for uh, the world of business that does not like uncertainty. Are you seeing comments about uncertainty coming from your respondents? Yeah, absolutely. We, we're, we're getting a lot of them uh, because there are so many balls that are in the air that haven't quite closed, although they're you know, if you do look deeper than, uh, you know, the evening news, there's a lot of activity going on in some of these agencies to do things that uh, are pro-business. But uh, until that is done, because, you know, a lot of it right now is being done through uh, not regulation, but through uh, interdepartmental decisions. You know, the regulation stuff is the stuff that's the really hard work. But there were a lot of comments about the general uncertainty you know, whether it be because of the steel market or environmental issues, uh, the tax impact potentials, the uh, border tax discussions. There was a lot of talk about anti-dumping duties. And, of course, you know, we have the, uh, you know, the environmental reversal that's underway. But, you know, some of that, some of the comments we got is that, that those, those decisions or lack of decisions are causing companies to change their order stream management policies which I found really interesting in that they're holding off placing orders for reasons that are related to decisions coming out of D.C. 
and or they're placing orders with certain economic assumptions today that may not be the same three or four months from now. So this whole gridlock kind of lack of a clear strategy and uh, you know everybody getting behind it and moving forward is causing some problems in the business community because, well, you know, every uh, business requires stability in order to make investments. To give you a, a heads up uh, from our standpoint uh, of All Metals and Forge Group, uh, since uh, end of the year, beginning of January, we did start to see a significant increase in the number of job requests, uh, production requests, uh, to the point that uh, this past month and a month before were quite huge in terms of the number of projects that we've quoted. And we've gotten, in, we've gotten an increase in order count and order dollars, but we do. We also hear, well, you know, I got you know the big guy has to sign it. Uh, you know, the, the committee has to sign it. Uh, the customer didn't sign it. And it's it's that stall. You know, the somebody doesn't have a, a big enough uh, nerve right now to put the John Hancock on the document. We have a lot of that. Yeah. So right. So we're we're just waiting, which means that. You know, our, our July and August, as it was about three, four years ago, really was incredibly good, uh, which is not typical. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, so let me talk a little bit about prices. And, uh, you know, out of the report, the only – I'm not going to say that it was uh, the oddball out of the nine elements that we measure was the prices element. but And the prices element actually saw a decrease, meaning that we still have increased prices, but at a much slower rate. So – to explain that, I know a lot of your listeners uh, have a focus on that. So the last month, we you know, we had a softening in the steel market. And if you look in the month of June, you'll see that steel is not really mentioned as a uh, significant price increase element. Uh, we, it still is in, in the price increase area on the alloy side. And I believe um, it's hot rolled steel is still on the price increase, but it's also included in the price decrease side. So the steel market kind of softened a little bit, and you know, Lou, that's a great comment because of your business. But yep. you know, on the steel side, so so we had some softening, and we had some softening in uh, petrochemicals, plastics, resins. Uh, any single one wasn't worth reporting, but in totality, there was quite a bit of softening with the HCP, LLDP, LDP, some of the polys. So uh, offset by increases on the foodstuff side. And, again, any single one of them didn't really stand out, but we had impacts, uh, you know, kind of across the whole board. But at the same mm -hmm. time, what's happening is there are comments about uh, iron ore increases and the price of steel kind of reversing. So, uh, and, you know, I, my experience has always been that price increases uh, don't so much follow the market right away. By the time you decide to make a price increase, you probably should have made that decision a month earlier. And then by the time you actually go ahead and make that decision and implement it, it takes a month to do it. So I think the price side kind of follows the market. And if we actually do see steel strength continue, and, and it is, it does seem to have bottomed out, uh, you know, hot roll at uh, 590s now at 615, 620. You know, as we see this rebound effect and the price of steel come back in copper, you know, is now starting to rebound too and come back. Uh, you know, I, th I think maybe 
I've, I've never really seen, seen steel prices grow in the month of June and July. So, I mean, that would be a real indicator that there's a, an increased demand uh, worldwide and locally for steel, which in a, in a strong economy you'd want to see, but in a weak economy you'd, you'd kind of see it continue to decline until the, the fall time frame. So that must be some of the things you're dealing with, Lou, is that a lot of your, yeah, your cost exactly. element is steel. And are people going to commit to the steel now, or are they going to wait and price it out later? Uh, you know, that's the dynamics of being a buyer and, and buying at the right time, right? Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Time and time and memorial. Um, I, I do have one uh, question. I, I, you're probably the, the person who could best answer it. I just recently heard a discussion on uh, rare earth uh, elements, uh, being that they come from China, and uh, that we actually have a lot of it ourselves in this country, but it's too expensive to mine because the Chinese uh, buried us with low prices and makes it almost impossible for us to mine. But here these rare earth elements are really required for our, our defense programs and significant other uh, areas uh, where our security is involved. Um, in view of the you know world politics and geopolitics and all of that, wouldn't it make sense somewhere along the line where uh, our country actually reopen these mines and find a way to produce it cheaper or bite the bullet and make sure that we have enough of these products for our own defense issues in spite of the price? Well, and the rare earth issue has been a, a rare earth issue. I think first raised its ugly head maybe five years ago when correct. it was an unofficial embargo in Japan. And yes, you're correct. Uh, Northern China has more rare earths than pretty much anywhere that where rare earth elements pretty much anywhere around the world. And right. you know they kind of used that leverage, and I think that drove some of the American mines to reopen, primarily in California. And I think there was a bunch of money invested in the California plant, which since had gone bankrupt. And I believe, right. uh, last I saw, there was an offer by the Chinese rare earth companies to buy it. So heard. I, I, I think one of the problems is is that you know we have pretty stringent environmental regulations, especially in California, and, and that's been part of the struggle with that mine. Whereas you know the same type of regulations probably don't exist so much in northern China. Yeah, I don't know that it's really a supply constraint right now, but it is definitely a strategic material, and I'm sure the you know the U.S. government keeps a close eye on their feedstocks and, and stockpiles of that to make sure that they have what they need. It's a it's a major element in all your semiconductors and sure. uh, the manufacturing sure. of magnets. So, well, okay, we we uh, have to wait and see on that one. We got a lot of wait and sees, but for now, Tim, uh, uh, it was terrific having you on the show. Uh, any final comments you'd like to throw at us? Well, you know, I th yeah, I think you know, in closing, let's uh, let's see what J July brings. I mean, July will be probably pretty representative of August. And you know, again, my 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 big eye is on the new order side. If the new order side stays up, then you know the world is great. If the new order side starts to fall over, if it falls over significantly, that would be a concern. If it takes a slight decrease, it's probably related to the fact that there's not as many people working. Uh, in the next couple of months. Very positive signs around the employment side, whether it be U3 or U6. Uh, right. I, mean, I think that's all good for the country. And, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, business is always a great time to be in it, and uh, this is a good time for us all, and let's see where it goes.
Tim? All right, John. Thanks, I look Tim. forward to speaking with you next month again. Absolutely. We always look forward to it. Be sure your numbers are up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I only I only report the facts. Uh, now you're sounding <laughs> like Brad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Tim? Thanks, Tim. And we've been speaking with Tim Fiore, who's the committee chair for the ISM's Manufacturing Report on Business. And joining us shortly is going to be Dr. Chris Keel. He's an economist with FMA International. He also tends to add some lightheartedness to the conversation. So we look forward to our conversation here with uh, Dr. Chris Keel, who also happens to be with Armada Corporate Intelligence. Chris, welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Well, you're welcome. And there's there's nothing more lighthearted than economics. I mean, that's why they call us (laughs) the dismal science, because we're so funny. (laughs) <laughs> Only your numbers are funny <laughs> Yeah, exactly Well, well, that's probably true Since we make up most of them But that's okay <laughs> How are you? I'm good Good, good So do we have a wee coming? <laughs> we have a wee coming, yes it, It's been fun watching the, the credit manager's index For the last few months Because you know, it just seems appropriate for the summer. It's like a roller coaster. You know, it's like, wow, things are good. No, they're not. No, they're great. No, no, they're not. Um, so <laughs> we're currently climbing. Um, so so we're on the upside of this latest roller coaster experience. And, and now I just have to hope that, you know, next month it doesn't send us plunging back into the depths again. What's been weird is that it's really just two factors. and And that's the part that making it interesting slash mysterious because it isn't the whole index. It really is just two things, one in the favorable category and one in the unfavorable category. Both of them are kind of related. One of them is dollar collections, which is what makes credit managers happy. That means they get to collect money. And one month, dollar collections are way up. The next month, they're down. Then they go back up. Then they go down. Twinning with that has been what we call slow pays. These are people that they're not really in trouble yet, but they're beginning to test the patience of the credit manager. They're like, yes, I know I have 30-day terms, but can I have 45 this month? Can I have 60? And frequently, these are some of your better customers, and you're reluctant to cut them off. The problem is that if it's just 45 or 60 days, no big deal. But if it then becomes 90 120, 180, oh my, now we're in trouble. Now it's collections and disputes and bankruptcies. We have been able to avoid the bad stuff so far. It has just become a slow pay. And then next month it's not a slow pay. And then it goes to slow pay again. So we're we're either unbelievably indecisive or we're just in a kind of a funny period right now where Companies are still trying to read the tea leaves and figure out if if they're expanding or if they're not expanding. You know, it's it's just, as Brad was kind of pointing out, it's just a funny time. I mean, you know, there's good news and bad news really simultaneously, and I think it's because there's some confusion out there. People don't quite know what to expect. So what you're saying is that you really have no idea. I, I never do. Um, <laughs> you have no idea. Which no, it, 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 the only thing you exactly. know for sure is what happens. 
Yeah, pretty much. You know, I mean, it, it's like like why we are so grateful for the existence of meteorologists because at least there's another science that's just as confused as we are. Um, so until they're you can physically always get a job standing there. in the, oh yeah, I mean, unless they're standing in the rain outside, they don't definitively know if it's raining. <laughs> so. uh, you just made some enemies. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 we're allies. They they know that we both make each other look good. So. <laughs> I, I get the uh, vision in my head of economists running forward, rapidly facing backwards. Exactly, exactly, exactly. You know, it's it's. You know, we we have the challenge from an economist's perspective is that we're trying to study human behavior, and there is no creature on the planet <laughs> less predictable, except maybe a cat. And and so we just have no clue. I mean, we look at things saying, well, people should take this news and do X. And they look at you and go, oh, no, I'm going to do Z. Why are you doing Z? That makes no sense. Well, I want to. Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so we're going to start watching. I, I might uh, point out, uh, I don't know if you heard our intro to the show today, uh, I think you ought to listen to our last week's show. We had Jerry Flum and Peter Roma talking about the next uh, trash bond bubble, financial mm-hmm. bubble. And it, it's scary, but it takes some pills before you listen to the show. <laughs> well, and, and that's, that's they're, not, they're, not wild, they're not wildly optimistic. Well, and that's one of the classic examples of, of the the folly of trying to figure out what people are going to do because you look at things logically and you're saying, okay, we're sitting on a bubble. Something should happen. And then a year goes by and another year goes by and, and the bubble disappears. And it's like, well, what the heck? Why didn't we have a bubble burst? Well, we just didn't want to. And And we have seen people do the most remarkably crazy things that – no sane economist would predict that they would do, yet they do it anyway. And and it's it really becomes a kind of an exercise in humility because no matter how much data you've got, no matter how much indicator information you have, you can have a reaction that is unpredictable. I mean, it all goes back in some respects to the black swan conversation that the Lebanese economists developed years ago, which said, you know, something weird is going to happen, which is going to change everyone's perception. You just don't know what it is or when it's going to happen. You just know it's going to happen. And, and you're just, so you're just constantly going, yeah, there's going to be a black swan. And then we're all going to look at it and go, wow, that's really odd. Um, <laughs> we never expected it, but there it is. And, and we're going to have to contend with it. Actually, Jerry Flum said that exact wording last week when he said, it's coming. We don't yeah. know when. Well, right. what do you mean? What should we be doing? What should our listeners be doing? Uh, they should be watchful and mindful, you know, because there's a bubble coming. <laughs> you know. I know. I know. <laughs> you know, I live, I live in Kansas, and this is the equivalent of spring forecast. Like, there's going to be a tornado. We don't know where, don't know when, but, you know, be ready. Have a basement. Um, so, okay, I have a basement. It's about the best I can do. And furthermore, I have wine in my basement, so I'm really ready. So. Oh, that's true. It's true. 
This is kind of like watching the bubble in your IV as it slowly heads to your body. Wondering. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, we also have new developments, you know, particularly when it comes to the bond market. This is the day that the Chinese are opening up their bond market and to foreign investment through Hong Kong. That's going to change a lot of behaviors because you now have a nine trillion dollar bond market that is open to Western investment for the first time in history. So it's not that oh it's going to radically shift things, but it, it distributes where people can put their money. And in some respects, it's going to be an anti-bubble response because money will siphon off to some degree into the China sector. On the other hand, China is unpredictable. The equity markets have been volatile. The bond markets will be just as volatile. And it just it just changes it changes expectations for an investor, and that rejiggers all of the expectations. I better call Jerry Flum and Peter <laughs> Roma. Say, all right, what's exactly. the story now? Exactly. It's only a week you know later, and the world turned upside down. <laughs> exactly. So. Right, true. Well, thanks a lot, Chris. I appreciate that. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. well, this is a happy you're day, July 4th. Global bubble. That's cool. But we have nothing left to say to them. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, Chris, you know, uh, just 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 you go do, uh, Yeah, <laughs> yeah, all right. You do economic reporting for our friends at the Fabricators and Manufacturers mm-hmm. Association International. How's FMA doing? Quite What's well. I mean, look like? one of the things that they produce quarterly is their FFJSCR, which is their forming and fabricating job shop. And I can't remember the rest. It's the worst acronym in history, the FISDISER. But it's one of the few of these surveys that are aimed at small to mid-sized job shops. And we've now got two or three years' worth of data, and it's getting steadily better. Most of the respondents are either steady or optimistic um, about things like capital investment, about hiring, about new business. Um, They're all kind of responding to the fact that the OEMs are requiring more from them than ever. So from that perspective, we're seeing some really good kind of middle-of-the-road manufacturing data. kind of goes along with what's been happening with the PMI and, frankly, with the CMI. Most of the data that's related to manufacturing, whether it's capacity utilization or capital investment or durable goods orders or new factory orders, are all trending more or less positively. They're not on fire. They're not, you know, setting new records, but they're certainly respectable. And if you look at the overall GDP numbers, they're behaving the same way. I mean, the latest revision for first quarter, not spectacular, but it's 1.4 when it was originally thought to be 0.07. So it's doubled. And second quarter is looking maybe 2.5, 2.7. So we're kind of in a reasonably steady state position. It's not the kind of economy that will forgive a lot of mistakes, but it also is the kind of economy that will reward good business decisions. Um, It comes down to, as you guys have pointed out for years, it's going to be the sector that you're in. It's going to be the part of the country you're in. Um, it's, It's almost impossible to say, hey, everything in the U.S. is great. It never is. 
everything in the U.S. is never bad either. You know, it's too big a country. And at this point, automotive is slowing down. Healthcare is speeding up. Agriculture doesn't look too good. Energy is a little bit down. But other things are, are booming. And even just the fact that robotics is booming has been good for manufacturing in general. Uh, to a point that you mentioned a moment ago, so uh, there are two states in the country whose unemployment rate, and there are manufacturing states, I think one may be Indiana and another one out in that part of the country, uh, mm-hmm. where their unemployment is below 2%. Mm-hmm. And the, the significant portion of their manufacturing sector is uh, you know high high technology and so on, mm-hmm. and it's getting now to a point where employers can't they don't have a big enough pool. Everybody's working. They've they've already drained uh, people from surrounding states to come to work for them, and they're now at a point where uh, they're considering moving the plant to a mm-hmm. higher uh, employment center. A population center. So here, when you're really doing great and everybody's working and hustling and got a couple of coins in the pocket, now you got to worry the company's going to leave because there's not enough of you there. Yeah, exactly right. And it's been happening for a number of years. It's not new. And it's been one of those things that has been complained about and complained about and complained about. And, And, of course, the politicians have rushed, rushed, I tell you, to solve this issue. And the only they they didn't rush. I'm 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 shocked. But one of the things that <laughs> has evolved is coming out of the Labor Department, and they're now experimenting with doing sort of an apprentice program similar to what goes on in Europe, where companies kind of cooperate with the government to certify the training that they are already doing, because one of the challenges in the past is you go to work for a company and they train you, but nobody recognizes that training except the company that hired you. But if you have a program that is approved, certified, etc., you now have the ability to take that with a with your portable credentials and, and go someplace else. It becomes more appealing. If we can start doing some of that on a grand scale, it allows more maneuverability as far as workers are concerned. And it allows better recruiting. Um, but it's the job shortage thing has been a huge issue for years now. We've talked about it incessantly, but we don't do anything about it. Um, it's it's really time to sort of shut up and, and put our cards on the table and say, look, I mean, not only are companies going to start moving to other states, that's what prompts them to move to other countries is they begin to sit there and say, I can't find people anywhere in the United States. The U.S. is too busy training people to work in a cloth-covered cube somewhere, and I need a manufacturing worker. I know. I'll go to Europe. I'll go to Mexico. I'll go to India. And and then we'll wring our hands going, oh, my goodness, we've lost the job. Really? (laughs) Really? Right. right. (laughs) And how did that happen, Congressman so-and-so? I can't imagine. Well, you know, there's a situation going on. Uh, it's in process right now with regards to the government's new budget, where they uh, cut and chopped, and in, in one area in particular, uh, the MEP program, the uh, mm-hmm. Manufacturing Extension Program, that is in located. There's uh, 56 or 57 uh, branches, at least one in every state, and uh, 
Mr. Trump has cut the 124 million out of the budget or planning to uh, to mm-hmm. put them out of business. They're creating right. jobs. They're creating training. They're creating training for business owners. And here the man is cutting 124 million, and that's not the real price tag. The real price tag is double that because the MEPs are partially self-generating revenues. They yeah, have to exactly do, for right. Right for 124 million, they have to come up with 124 million. They got a big incentive. They're doing a great job. Uh, Tim and I know many of the people from MEP from different parts of the country, and they're getting slammed. And it's negatively affecting the country. And it's one of the things that, as as voters, we should be expressing outrage at the top of our lungs, saying, "I am really, really tired of these meaningless platitudes." when you immediately turn around and spike programs at work. You know, I'm right. not I'm glad I'm not the person trying to figure out what to, to put in and put out of the budget, but there comes a point where why are you not financing something that really does provide economic growth, economic opportunities for people? It's ludicrous. I mean it's the sort of thing that in many other countries a program like that would be sacred. You know, no one would touch it. And here it's like, oh, whatever, you know, we've got to finance, I don't know what the heck else. I mean, it's just every time you turn around to some idiotic program, they're like, really, we're putting money into this? Why? So there's there's just a, a, a serious disconnect. And I'm just hoping at some point people get furious and, and start expressing themselves and saying most of what we're dealing with right now are self-inflicted wounds. And we really have to stop doing it. Yeah, we certainly allowed or relied on elected politicians to manage our financial affairs of both federal and state. And, of course, Illinois did not reach a budget on Friday. Maine is uh, shut down because they did not. Your great state of New Jersey, Lou, is shut down because they did not. On July 4th weekend, all the state parks, historic sites, Statue of Liberty closed. July July 4th weekend, this weekend, here in New Jersey, that, I I can't say his name, Governor Christie (laughs) shut down all the parks in the state when people have the right to enjoy themselves on a weekend, and he says, I'm going to get the voters. And he shut down all the parks this weekend. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, he's struggling with uh, his own legislature that can't come to terms. So, uh, you know, you can you can point you can point fingers either way. The reality is we've entrusted our politicians to run our financial affairs and we're fooled. They don't know. Yeah, what they're well, doing, you know, I, but I would like to say I would like to say that, you know, if you trusted it to an economist, all would be well. However, I'm always reminded that the president of of Ecuador, which is a raving moon leftist country, was an economist. Just so happened he graduated from the University of Illinois, just saying. Um, Meanwhile, the guy that's running Columbia is also an economist and graduated from the University of Kansas. And they're a lot more successful. So I don't, you know, we have a horrible football team, but apparently we can run countries. Um, So... <laughs> yeah, run them down the toilet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you you hit it on the on the head. You know, we don't we don't elect people for the right reasons. We we become emotional. We elect people on issues that are more personal sometimes than anything else. 
And honestly, we need managers. We need people that we need the same kind of people that can run a business or run an organization successfully running a country. And unfortunately we, we rarely pick people with that kind of of skill. But we just did. Well, running as, as one of his own cabinet officials once pointed out, Wilbur Ross, when asked about this said, well, that man doesn't run businesses. He's a real estate developer. How in the hell can you lose money in real estate in New York? I mean, give me a break. You know, and and Gross pointed out that he's run like 25 businesses and like nine times richer than Trump. You know, so, but what's interesting is the stuff that is coming out of the government that like the apprentice program, like those types of discussions are coming from those very business people that Trump brought into his cabinet. People like Ross, um, people like that, you know, even the Tillerson, I mean, some of the discussions we're having internationally is focusing on business. And, you know, that's part of what a secretary of state was supposed to do. This one is. And so you, you've, you kind of sort of take the good with the bad and, and look at the policies that work and just agitate like crazy with people who ostensibly represent you and say, Hey, you know, could you, could you focus on this? And, a little less on some of the other social issues that may be important, but, you know, priorities, gentlemen. <laughs> so, Yeah, really, really. Well, they can spend money on uh, social issues when they, uh, you know, fully uh, put all the board members in place on the XM bank, which makes money for the government and, and programs like yeah, that. I know, uh, I know. And now First, we have somebody to, I just want to ask you, like I just want to ask you about, as we wrap up here, the uh, GDP of the manufacturing sector. Is that mm-hmm. something better than the 07, 1.4, 2.5 we're hearing? If we separated it out, what would the GDP of the manufacturing sector alone be? That's one of the great debates within statistical analysis, because most of the way that we judge the manufacturing sector's contribution is by using the NAIC codes, which tell you where people work, what they do at their work, et cetera. And and this is something that MAPI has been fighting for years, pointing out that the way that we measure manufacturing, we only count people who are actually running a machine as part of manufacturing. The managers, right. the designers, the back office people, the salespeople, none of them are counted as manufacturing, despite the fact that without them, that company would not survive. According to MAPI, that makes our GDP from manufacturing close to 30%. It makes the, the employment close to 30%. Because if you're working for Ford, you're working for a manufacturer. You're not, you know... Right. It doesn't matter that you're a salesperson. It doesn't matter that you're collecting debt payments in the back office. You're just as integral to that company as somebody who's operating the line. And we just have to rethink it. It doesn't really change anything. It doesn't change what people do. It doesn't change how they get paid. But it changes how we perceive manufacturing. If we think of it as a minor thing that isn't important to our economy, well, we treat it that way. But if we recognize, no, it's a third of our economy, then all of a sudden it makes more sense to prioritize it. I would agree. I would agree. And Chris, we, uh, before I get to Lou about next week's show, I, I just want to thank you again for sharing uh, 
uh, both on the credit managers index and a broad variety of other subjects with us. Uh, just your information is really invaluable. Uh, I realize you may poo-poo it humorously as being from an economist, but <laughs> we appreciate the point of view and, and thank you for being on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Oh, you're so welcome. We'll talk to you next time. Yeah, get some new jokes for next month, will you? Yeah, I'm working on them. I, I got a new writer. I'm ready to go. <laughs> all right, all right. Have a, good, have a good, have a good fort. You too. Bye. Thanks. Will do. And we've okay, been speaking so, with Dr. Chris, who's an economist with uh, FMA International. So uh, next week's show, uh, we have Aaron Sheaving. Uh, he's with uh, Lifecycle uh, Biotechnology. He's going to be talking about manufacturing from the uh, pharmaceutical side, which we really haven't uh, uh, had on our oh, show too often. So uh, next week he will be on the show talking about biotechnology manufacturing. I can hardly almost say it, but we look forward to it. I've had a conversation <laughs> with him. He's an interesting guy. Uh, and, uh, Hopefully, we won't have sound difficulties next week. Um, so, Tim, take it away. Now, is biotechnology manufacturing or making human parts? Well, if it is, let's not talk about it because then we won't get as many listeners. Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I can't tell you what it's about. I really can't. I, I spoke with them for 30 minutes and um, no idea. But I thought it was interesting enough for people – to uh, get into the pharmaceutical side of manufacturing. Yeah, it's a, and it's a big part of manufacturing. Uh, Lou, thank you for that, and we thank all of our listeners for being with us. And those of you who download our podcast from iTunes or wherever you may get it from, all of our shows are at mfgtalkradio.com. You can tune in at any time to listen to shows you want to hear and do some research. We have uh, a lot of material there. We put out a lot of articles, by the way, every day so there's all kinds of new material coming on there so stay tuned and we appreciate you being with us today on manufacturing talk radio thanks for joining us on manufacturing talk radio you can hear our next broadcast each tuesday at 1 p.m eastern standard time at mfgtalkradio.com this podcast is a part of the c-suite radio network for more top business podcasts visit c-suiteradio.com